This is still the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror, horror movies, and the horror lifestyle. Thank you to at BansheeBeat on Twitter, uh, BansheeBeat, the iconic theme maker here at the New Flesh Podcast. He has bestowed upon us a new theme uh, just because he felt we needed one, and he's right. It's been so many years. Um, we love that theme song. It's fun to have another one. Thank you so much to Banshee Beat for that theme song. Uh, I don't have any funny business today. No song parodies or anything. I was thinking no about doing business. like... No monkey business. I was thinking about doing like a Grimes of the Future uh, <laughs> song. It was just like me singing Grimes up top, confused about it not being Grimes of the Future. Um, but I've, I felt, you know, I thought better of it. And instead, I just talked about it on here anyway. Um, but we're here to talk about... David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, you know, obviously the new Flesh podcast, uh, at least one half of its most anticipated movie of the year, of the past several years, of the past decade probably, because it's been about eight years since we got a Cronenberg movie. Um, Longtime listeners will know the new Flesh podcast, uh, the new Flesh is a reference to Videodrome, a David Cronenberg classic. Um, and we love him and his entire oeuvre at this podcast. So I was very excited to see the movie. I've seen it twice now. I had the pleasure of attending a Q&A with King David Cronenberg and Viggo Mortensen and Kristen Stewart and Scott Speedman and Leia Sadu, and then the producer, whose name I don't even remember, who just sat on the end and didn't say anything, but was <laughs> there also. Um, so I feel really primed to talk about Crimes of the Future in theaters now via Neon. And because there's not really anything out, I feel like it got a wider release than it normally would have. It's a very strange movie, and it's fun to see at an AMC theaters uh, that they're playing a David Cronenberg movie, Crimes of the Future. It's definitely harkens back to the body horror uh, early stuff of his career, but is very much, I would say, just as like literary high-minded as his like late output. Yes, but also sure. fused with that aesthetic of his early stuff. So for me, spoiler alert up top, I fucking love this movie. Had a blast. Have no notes. Have so much to talk about. Uh, I feel like I've really got a grasp on it. And um, I'm so excited to talk about it. But that's not the only thing we're talking about today. We're also talking about Watcher, an IFC midnight release that is in theaters now only, I believe. It's an yes. exclusive in theaters in limited release, so you know, I believe you can see it in New York, Chicago, L.A. And it's wherever. actually it's it's a uh, it's almost as wide as Crimes of the Future. They're both in almost eight hundred. Like eight hundred, right? Okay. Yeah. So check your local listings. See if you can <laughs> check out Crimes of the Future and Watcher. Watcher stars Micah Monroe. You may recognize Micah as the Scream Queen icon from It Follows, 
and what else, Jesse? That's right, Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> Horror icon from Independence Day Resurgence, and also the guest, which I actually just watched for the first time uh, before I reviewed Watcher. Uh, oh, because, nice. Yeah. yeah, the guest is fun. I think people overrate the guest because it's, I don't know, it's really fun. I like it a lot. I don't want to shit on the guest, but I feel like there's a lot of horror fans who would say that's like their favorite horror movie of the past, like, dec- uh, you know, 10 or whatever years it is. That's and weird, too, because it's like not. I mean, it's more of a comedy. Not, yeah. Well, I, well, <laughs> I wouldn't even know it's like a comedy, but it's like action. It's more of a, I say a thriller. Yeah. A thriller, yeah. It know, turns right? into an action thriller at some point. But yeah. like it also is just like very obviously like referencing like Halloween and Carpenter stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So like I get why people say that. But again, that's also you're kind of getting at why I don't think it's like the best horror thing. But I get why. Isn't that a Wingard? Yes, it is. It's, I get, uh, you know, I yeah. we like Wingard here, even though he, you know, he's he's had some misfires, but happy for him. Happy he's got the guests, Dan Stevens and Godzilla vs. Kong 2. Godzilla vs. Kong vs. Dan Stevens, I'm assuming <laughs> is what it's going to be called. Um, so we're talking about Watcher, which is a small movie from IFC filmed in the pandemic. Uh, Jesse, no, Jesse didn't see it then, but uh, I saw it in January at Sundance, which was completely virtual. So I watched it in my living room with like a handful of friends and didn't love it. Um, but it kind of loomed large in my mind ever since I saw it. And p- people who it's getting mixed reviews, but every time I read a positive one, I didn't like disagree with it. So I was curious to rewatch it. And you know what? I did. I went and saw it in a theater because as you know, as someone who watched it at home the first time, especially because it was like screener quality copy a screen. Yeah. It it wasn't like, you know, the best copy of it. It's a movie that is so atmospheric and visual that like, I definitely wanted to give it a go in a theater and I'm glad I did. So we're talking about crimes of the future. We're talking about watcher and we're talking about a third movie that I believe is in theaters and on demand. You can rent it for, was it seven bucks? Jesse, did you just rent it? It was, it was, uh, I think maybe even been six bucks. All right. Well, that's coming that's coming right out of the Patreon bank going right into Jesse's pocket. Um we're talking about Dashcam, Rob Savage's Dashcam. Do you know what Rob Savage did before this? Are you aware of this man? Uh, I'm aware that he did a movie that was like a Zoom horror movie that I didn't see. Okay, yes, he directed Host, which was the Shutter exclusive pandemic Zoom horror movie that was actually pretty good. I think I don't I, we must have talked about it on this show at some point. I definitely liked it and recommended it. Um, this is his second movie, I believe. I think that was his first. Um, and it is, let's just say controversial. It debuted to universal dis- disdain, I think, at a whatever festival it played. And people really have an issue with this movie and the depiction. Kind of like this movie has a protagonist problem, perhaps. Um, which we'll talk about. So I'm really excited to talk about these three movies that I think are all very interesting in their each in their own way. Do you agree? Are you excited, Jesse? I'm excited to talk about all three. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, um, they all. Yeah, they're actually all worth. They're worth talking about, which is such a nice relief because sometimes when you're adding a couple, you're doing a triple feature of horror movies, you'll get one where you're just like, ugh. Well, to be completely <laughs> honest, this was going to be a four episode, four movie episode because there's one of those like Blumhouse epics, whatever they're doing now, that is akin to what used to be called Into the Dark on Hulu, which might still exist. But now they're doing Welcome to the Blumhouse on Amazon, which is another direct to video, but 
actually streaming arm of Blumhouse. Well, there's another one now that's just like they have a partnership with Epics, which I'm assuming means these movies end up on Epics, which is like a cable channel pretty quickly, if not immediately. But I know you can also rent them. And there's a new one out this week called Unhuman. And the reason I was excited for it, because it's directed by Marcus Dunstan, uh, the iconic director of Saw six something. or something yes. like i don't know <laughs> or he directed saw yeah f- he wrote five he wrote he wrote saw f- uh four five six and seven and then they went on and wrote the, those another they started another horror franchise called the collector it was oh, like yeah, the yeah. collector in the collection i believe their first thing was the project Greenlight thing um I think they're Project Greenlight winners. I think they wrote Feast. Oh, okay. That's the Project Greenlight season I watched. That is the only season I watched as well. <laughs> um, is that did it like move to HBO for that season or something? I, I feel think, like it, I think I think the season after that it went to HBO or went somewhere else because I feel where like where was wasn't... it before HBO? Do you remember? I don't remember. I feel yeah, like no memory. It was, it was, at, was. It was uh, maybe IFC or something like that. It was a channel. It, it went from a channel I had to a channel I didn't have, and that was enough for me to not watch it. And then. You know, you weren't a big track. Battle of Shaker Heights guy or whatever. <laughs> I never, the first I never movie saw was. the the movie or the sh- or the show that that resulted in the Battle of Shaker Heights. No, <laughs> I wonder how many people have any idea what we're talking about. Is this like old people <laughs> stuff? Like I don't know. <laughs> that shows from Greenlight, Greenlight Arcana. That show felt like it was a big deal for a little while. Like relatively speaking, now it would get so lost in everything because well, James Wan, I feel like had a show or like was supposed to have some sort of horror show like this. And then like, yeah, maybe it happened and I just never heard about it. Definitely remember bits and pieces talking about it. Uh, you're right. It's hard to keep up nowadays with anything. And this was back when there was less content. It started in 2001. I'm pretty sure. Oh, it first was, was on HBO and then it was on Bravo. Okay. that's <laughs> And then it went back to HBO. I think I watched the one season that was on Bravo because at the time I didn't have HBO and I probably did have Bravo. <laughs> So the premise of the show, as far as I remember, I feel like it was probably about the time like making the band was a thing or something. Yeah, yeah. It was like a reality TV show. I'm pretty sure produced a meet. Was it the first season produced and starring like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon? It was Affleck and Damon. Yeah, like had something to do with it. I don't know if how much they were on it, but yeah. But like it was a show where they're like, hey, we're making a movie. Yeah. Um, and the reality show is like the behind the scenes of the making the movie from the beginning to the end, and. So you're watching a movie get made and then the movie comes out and it was a, it's a cool concept, but like <laughs> the movies that came out of it, I can name two of them. I can name Feast because it's a horror movie and that's, you know, it was a, for me, I watched the season and I was excited and that movie's okay. I like that movie fine. Uh-huh. Uh, that movie became like a direct-to-video knockoff thing. Um, but it did launch the careers of these guys who were like, you know, horror guys. Um, so Battle of Shaker Heights is the other one. I think that's the name of it. Um, yeah. And it stars Shia LaBeouf and somebody else. Uh, couldn't tell you any other. And apparently, there's several seasons of the show. There's so. st- Stolen Summer is the first one. I, I won't. I can't. I'm not. This is not my encyclopedic recall. I had to look it up. Stolen Summer, and then that sounds like uh, a made-up movie. Okay. And then season four. I'm not sure if the movie actually uh, like. Yeah, I don't know if the movie actually. Stolen did. Summer looks so low rent compared <laughs> to like the yeah. other ones. And there's something called Kevin Pollack, another... but it, Yeah, go ahead. Oh, season season four is like not another pretty woman. But I don't know if that actually became a movie. Oh no, it became the le- It's called the Leisure Class, 
was the movie that, that resulted. Uh, yeah, these are all, you know, huge hits that everybody <laughs> yeah. knows. The universally beloved series of films. The Leisure Class went to HBO, like, before that was sort of a classy thing. I mean, no, they, they, they always did classy TV movies, but it, I don't think it got a... a Stolen movies. Summer has quite a logline. Are you ready? Yes. A Catholic boy tries to convert a terminally ill Jewish boy so he will be able to get to heaven. <laughs> yikes if, you know for a, for a while that was like that sounds like it would be a huge hit today yeah, yeah. like the faith-based uh yeah yeah it would like now it would, it would produced whatever. yeah it would come out from daily wire and like and it would be with guns it would be yes. like he has to keep his guns to get to heaven uh, well to, con- to convert him he has to do it at gunpoint obviously yeah, one last time uh you know it's like, i feel like the early 2000s as a i mean this is a whole other non-horror related conversation but like that was such an early 2000s thing. The kind of like super sentimental kids coming Simon of age. Simon Birch. Ho- yeah, kind of horse shit. You had to name a box office game <laughs> favorite from recent weeks. Um, like that was so big in the early 2000s. Whatever, anything that could make you, anything that had a lot of heart, the producers would be like, oh yeah, yeah so this funny. is so much. So much heart. like the late 90s, early 2000s. You're making me think of like, is fly away home a good example like that's more of a, just... that's more of an actual kids movie but like that kind of like the indie aesthetic was kind of moving away from the tarantino knockoff to the like sappy you know oh it's like you know it's broken really flowers what... yeah it's well no broken flowers is like i'm thinking more like i mean the kind of movies that this, i don't mean this is an insult to the recent best picture winner but coda right like yes that kind of thing the weep the kid the kind of shameless weepy movie about kids i don't know i don't know pay it, it just forward like, 2001 yeah <laughs> yeah that more like indie movies were starting to look more like pay it forward actually. yeah yeah um I, anyway feast. how do we get to talking about project Greenlight? <laughs> yeah feast marcus um, dunstan wrote it and then he got oh to yeah make, marcus dunstan has a new movie baby and it is on blumhouse epics and i got a screener of it and it is not worth our time to talk about it <laughs> even though we just spent way too long getting on a sidetrack that that stemmed from but yeah it's called unhuman if you're interested i found it really boring and bad it's like a horror comedy set mostly on a school bus uh not it's not really mostly on a school bus i it was for a while and i was like is this gonna jeepers creepers to it the whole time <laughs> um very influential film jeepers creepers too um Anyway, we're not talking about Unhuman, but I will use this opportunity to once again plug Torn Hearts, which is the Katie Seagal starring Blumhouse Epics movie that came out, I think, two weeks ago and might be on Epics Cable now, however that shit works. It's worth the $6 rental if that's what it is. It's a really fun horror movie, country music tinged horror movie. I keep, I forget to tell you to watch it, so we haven't covered it yet. But Torn Hearts, maybe we'll cover it one day. You should definitely watch it. Um, Cool. Before we get to bits and pieces, uh, Patreon, Jesse and I talked about Chippendale Rescue Rangers, as promised. We talked a little bit more about Pokemon stuff, as <laughs> threatened. Um, <laughs> we also are about to do one, probably not today, but sometime this week, and it'll be up soon, on... You saw Bob's Burgers, right? I did see Bob's Burgers. We can do Bob's Burgers, and we can talk about... Um, Sorry, my mic is being weird. Uh, are you getting any weirdness? It sounds fine. I am not. Okay, it sounds great. good. I'm going to power through as if nothing's happening then. Um, yeah, we had a bonus. We're talking about Bob's Burgers. There was something else I wanted to talk about uh, that I'm sure I will remember by the time we actually record it. 
Uh, I saw Ricochet on 35 millimeter. Maybe Jesse's seen Ricochet. We of can talk about he that movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm also that led me to watch. Uh, I'm, I'm watching Highlander for the first time. I fell asleep to it last night. Getting all that Russell Mulcahy action. <laughs> Director of Resident Evil Three. Great, great. Yes, I saw that one enough times. I don't need to rewatch that one. Um, but yeah, the Patreon is alive and thriving. And uh, most importantly, my interview with James Wan is on there. And it's a lot of fun. We talked for 13 minutes. He was ravaged by the conversation. You can really tell. You can really hear it. You got to pay the five bucks on Patreon to hear uh, me and James Wan having just, you know, being basically best friends. (laughs) Join that parasocial relationship. Come on in. The water's fine. (laughs) Um, All right. It is time for the Bessons of Pieces. Um... First bit in peace. Happy Death Day filmmaker and Jesse Hassinger's favorite guy, <laughs> uh, Christopher Landon, has a new project on the horizon. And it is kind of a curveball. It is not like... Um, an 80s movie reimagined as a horror movie. <laughs> it is not an 80s premise reimagined as a horror movie. It is a remake for Amblin being produced by James Wan. It sounds like Mad Libs right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's an a Steven Spielberg company produced movie. A remake of was I'm assuming this was an Amblin at the time as well. A remake of Arachnophobia. Yes. A 1990 Frank Marshall movie which loomed large on cable in my youth and I hated spiders and I always had to avoid watching it. Um <laughs> so Christopher Landon is not only directing, he's also writing. He's uh auteuring the motherfucker. We've got <laughs> Christopher Landon's arachnophobia. Um, it's going to be, I, I, don't, I don't know if this premise, yeah, this premise describes the original. A horror comedy, arachnophobia, that's kind of a weird description, but I guess that's correct. Is it, I guess it is trying it's, to be funny. It's more of an, it's not, you know, it's not really in the kind of contemporary idea of a horror comedy where it's sort of like. Yeah, you know what I remember, actually? I just watched this for the first time in like 2019, and I feel like the comedy just comes from them throwing in John Goodman's character and like a weird soundtrack that sounds kooky. It's like well, think, him. He's like in a totally different movie than everybody. else. I would say it's more in the vein of something like tremors, which I think came out around the same time where it, it is, has comic moments and sort of, and sort of comic characters, but that's not kind of all out wise cracking spoofery that you might expect from a contemporary horror comedy. It's not like spoofing horror movies, but it has a kind of kooky sensibility about it. I say, Yes. Good movie, uh, though. Yeah. It centers on a small town terrorized by a colony of deadly South American spiders accidentally brought into the U.S. Jeff Daniels starred as a doctor who moves his family from the big city to the calm small town life with John Goodman playing a know-it-all exterminator. Julian Sands was in it. Uh, James Wan is producing that. It's an atomic monster Amblin production. That's fun. That's a fun It's kind of a neat combination, even though it is, as you say, kind of mad libsy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chris Landon, in addition to writing Happy Death Day, or did he write those or did he just direct those? He must have written them. It seemed like his sensibility, right? Yeah. So he wrote and directed Happy Death Day and Freaky. I'm just going to go on a limb and say that. And he also, because he's more of a writer, because he wrote two, three. Oh, you know what? He he didn't write uh, Happy Death Day. Okay, but he did write Freaky. Or you're not I just haven't looked it up yet. I'm now. I'm like now. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm like we were, I'm live live fact checking our own of course. Uh, thing. But uh, 
he yeah he wrote the paranormal activity ones that he worked on and he did write freaky and okay. he worked on happy death day to you and so he probably did a polish or whatever on yeah on he the probably happy death he day. probably wrote a little on it but it's not he's, apparently he's a sensibility that you can you know you can kind of glean from these things yeah he wrote paranormal two three four and seven <laughs> hilariously <laughs> and directed and wrote and directed the marked ones which i don't know what number that is i think six maybe um yeah arachnophobia remake i'm all for spiders you know sca- spiders scare me so it's effective material even watching arachnophobia now gets me all creeped out because that had good practical effects uh and all that stuff yeah so that movie's fun uh, did you? I vividly remember seeing eight-legged freaks in theaters. Did you see that movie? In I theaters? did. Yes, I don't vividly remember because I feel like I actually might have dozed off during it. But <laughs> wow, I liked it enough to buy it on DVD. That was one of those cases that was like cardboard and had like a clip on the side. Snap case. The snap snap case. case. Yeah, it that's a, a Warner Brothers. Case. Warner Brothers special from that era. Yes. Uh, just bring it up to mention eight-legged freak starring David Arquette and literally a bunch of other people I can't remember, but I bet Scarlett Johansson. Is- the Scar- you know, young, young Scarlett Johansson. Yes, Scarlett oh is the girl who gets menaced in a towel by a spider. She's like a teenager in it. Oh, I bet she was a centerpiece of the trailer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. That movie, I feel like Arachnophobia is obviously way better because of yes. the practical effects. And I feel like Eight-Legged Freaks is cool because like they're huge spiders. Yeah. Um, But it's very, it's, a, it's like a B movie. It, it's fun. Yeah. I, I, I would it defend fun. it as pretty good. Um, But definitely like more... There's definitely computer effects in that one. Um, This is probably the coolest, most exciting news of the week. Did you see that Scream 6, whatever it's going to be called, has a new cast member in addition to all the people joining from the last movie? Did you hear about this, Jesse? No, no, I did not. Dermot Mulroney. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Dermot Mulroney, whose recent horror credits include Insidious 3, good movie, and Uma, bad movie. Um, He's said to be playing a cop in the upcoming sixth installment of the Scream franchise. Uh, in the brand new movie, the Scream saga continues with the four survivors of the Ghostface killings as they leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh new chapter. Uh, there's no mention of any of the original legacy characters returning, though Courtney Cox did indicate she'll be back recently. Um, even though it would seem that the focus here is on the new characters going forward, I've already mentioned Radio Silence is back. Uh, Kevin Williamson's back as producers. Friends of the show, James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick are back writing. Uh, very excited for Scream 6. It'll be out next year. How exciting. Uh, wanted to mention The Northman is now available to stream on Peacock. Did you know this? Who knew? I did, yes. Yeah. Um, it's just funny that any... I wish I didn't have to say Peacock out loud any ever. Uh, it's a stupid title of a streaming service. Um, what... Who produced... Like, why is that on Peacock? It sounds weird to me that... Well, Universal, you know, uh, it came from Focus, so they oh, Universal's yeah. thing. I yeah. forgot that. I always forget, like, Focus doesn't really mean... It's just like a subsidiary of another yeah. <laughs> of a yeah. huge arm. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, you can also rent the film for $20 uh, on VOD outlets right now or purchase it for 25 before it's uh, digital 4K and Blu-ray coming out. Oh, my God. Today, the digital 4K, digital 4K and Blu-ray of The Northmen are out today. Uh, I'm glad it got a 4K. That's going to look great. Yeah. Um, The stupidest thing ever happened this weekend. Sony brought Morbius back to theaters. Uh, Honestly, probably more less to do with like the meme of Morbius and more to do with like nothing's happening. Let's just try it. Yeah. Um, 
But Sony put Morbius back in theaters this weekend ahead of the film's DVD or uh, Blu-ray and 4K release in a couple weeks. They put it back in theaters, capitalizing on the fact that it's become like a viral meme online. People, to be clear, not championing the movie. (laughs) People are making fun of the movie. And uh, they thought maybe they could wring some money out of it as if they had never um, seen or heard of Snakes on a Plane or isn't there, is, there has to be another example of like the internet um, trying to make a movie happen. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League didn't yes. come out in yes. theaters. Like it just was a, I feel like it did. It, maybe it did play it in a few theaters. Anyway. I think it, the, the cherry on the top, not only Zack Snyder's Justice League existing and being kind of bullied into existence by uh, angry, weird nerds, but the fact that it, it, in its final scene has, Jared Leto's Joker to bring it full circle to Jared Leto saying we live in a society. Yeah, I forgot about that. I wish I <laughs> so it's just that kind of thing. It's that wish kind I of I could men in black neutralize yeah. that from my brain. <laughs> but Sony brought Morbius back into a thousand theaters this weekend. Uh and it grossed three hundred thousand dollars over the weekend, or two hundred eighty-nine dollars per theater, which was three dollars less per per theater than Firestarter in its fourth week fifth week and it's just dead already (laughs) you know it's just to say it's a movie that critics hated audiences didn't like it had a bad cinema score it's gonna crap out at like 73 million domestic i feel like worldwide it's probably it's probably about it's probably just under 200 worldwide like it might end up being not the worst thing for them no no i mean like it's funny people are talking about this being like oh they're letting Morbius bomb a second time. It's like it didn't really bomb. It it I mean, not I'm not aching for more Morbius, but like it opened okay and then dropped off really f- fast because people didn't like it. That's not really what bombing is, you know. That's like yes, it, it, more people saw that movie than saw everything everywhere all at once. I know it's a different apple to oranges yeah. comparison, but just in terms of pure numbers, like more people saw that than saw the Northman. Uh, more people saw and that. More than, people will yeah. see Morbius once it hits whatever fucking streaming yeah. service it's on. Yeah. So Jared Leto tweeted. A me like it was him reading a fake script called Morbius 2 it's Morbin time which is like one of the stupid memes that goes around about this movie so like now they're like haha we're in on the joke of our movie being shitty and it's all just really annoying and might lead to them doing another one and you know whatever I I don't think this will actually happen I, I think feel that, like it's, yeah what do you think? I, I agree I think you're right yeah I do not think we're actually going to get Morbius 2 it's Morbin time but fun I fact, do, that yeah. is how I learned Jared Leto blocks me on Twitter. Is that he <laughs> tweeted that and I couldn't see it, and I had to go figure out. I was eager. What I was eagerly that about. when you said that, I eagerly went to check if I was to see if I was blocked on Twitter by Jared Leto, and sadly, Just like that, I, I, I on a not. whim, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't think of what possibly what I possibly said. Well, I was hoping it would be a new flesh block that he was like these two fuckers. Even though I feel like we probably were softer on Morbius than most people. Yeah, uh, I was just I, I was hoping it would be some kind or, of yeah. new fl- new flesh profiling that he would he tracked us down. And been blackballed of us. But. Let's go with that. That sounds yeah. better. Yeah, Jared Leto stamp of disapproval on this yeah, podcast. That's, that's right. I'm actually going to open a t-shirt a t-shirt store soon, and maybe that'll be one. <laughs> uh, if you're a t-shirt person listening, and you like make t-shirts or like make designs for t-shirts, you're a graphic designer, and you have any designs you want to make for the show beyond the one I'm going to make, that's just our logo on a t-shirt. Uh, let me know. Message me. My email, 
is always what it has been. bcarnold25 at gmail.com. Moving along, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness coming to Disney Plus on June 22. Uh, So that's in a few weeks. If you didn't catch the Sam Raimi, quote-unquote Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it's about to hit. 900 million worldwide it probably has hit that now this was a few days ago i'm reading um so it'll be on disney plus and it'll still be in theaters and making money for a while uh furiosa the mad max fury road spinoff uh prequel whatever it is uh if you read the kyle buchanan book on the making of mad max furiosa is actually something that he wrote ahead of it that like is fully fleshed kind of a prequel situation to like the of like situation that led to Fury Road. Um, whereas Fury Road essentially happened over two, three days and two nights. This happens over many years. Um, I'm so excited. George Miller is directing a new Mad Max movie. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy in the role of Furiosa, made famous by Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road. Chris Hemsworth is also in it. Um, we already know that David Gordon Green is doing The Exorcist sequel to the original classic not a remake it's a sequel to the original um leslie odom jr will star and ellen burston is back as chris mcneil and she let slip in an interview that she's already shot her scenes for the new movie and she said nothing weird happened on set there was a lot of weirdness on the first one because you know if you watch there's a whole episode of cursed films about the history of the exorcist and why it's a lot of weird things happened on the set and stuff uh, the first film of the trilogy will be released theatrically on October 13th, 2023. Last we heard, and David Gordon Green is writing and directing. Uh, crazy. What crazy times we live in. Um, Neil Blomkamp is back talking about that he's working on District 10, his District 9 sequel, <laughs> and that um, it's going to happen in the near future. So be warned. <laughs> I hope he makes it. Uh, I, 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 whatever, I don't care. But I, I, as a spiteful part of me, hope he makes it kind of in the aesthetic of his most recent of, the, of demonic, where it just like looks like it costs twenty five dollars. <laughs> oh, like... I, f- I completely forgot about demonic. Yeah, what a piece of shit that was. Uh, Scream Factory has announced they're upgrading their first three Child's Play movies that are really great on Blu Ray. They're making the a four K set. And you can actually buy them individually. You can buy them as a set. And if you buy it right now on Scream Factory, there is a brand new exclusive five and a half inch tall charred Chucky action figure by NECA limited to 4,000 units. You know, I already pre-ordered the whole set that includes (laughs) that, Um, even though I already own those Blu-rays. So if you want to pawn those Blu-rays off me, (laughs) also get in my inbox. Um, I gotta, 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 gotta stop saying um. I really just clicked onto that. Sorry, everybody. George Romero's of the dead films are all coming to the big screen in New York City at the Museum of the Moving Image in Astoria, Queens. We love the Museum of the Moving Image yes. here at the New Flesh Podcast. There's a chance your boy might be introducing something there. Get Stay tuned for the information on that. But they're showing basically every George Romero movie and, and other ones that are any of the dead movie is showing. Here's what they say. Few film genres, subgenres have proven more resilient than the zombie horror movie. The modern version of which began with Romero's deathless 
1968 indie masterpiece, Night of the Living Dead. That film's mixture of low-budget innovation, shocking horror, and political commentary launched a quarter-century plus of zombie movies, including a remarkably generative cycle of films from Romero himself, brainy movies about the brain dead, satires on contemporary American life that use that the zombie as metaphor. Romero's work has been so influential that it inspired hordes of fascinating, funny, gross, and thoughtful movies. In conjunction with Momi's Living, The Walking Dead exhibition, which examines a series that itself owes a clear debt to Romero's work, we present Romero's cinematic zombie corpus, plus a delirious selection of modern variations from filmmakers as varied as Edgar Wright, obviously they're showing Shaun of the Dead, Zack Snyder, his Dawn of the Dead, Jim Jarmusch, uh, The Dead Don't Die, and um, Shinichiro Ueda, the director of One Cut of the Dead, which we love here at the show. And um, Romero's Dawn of the Dead 78 will be scheduled at a later date for now. But they've got Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, Shaun, obviously, Dawn of the Dead 04, Shaun of the Dead, Dead Don't Die, and underrated Land of the Dead is playing. Love that movie. And they're doing a double feature of the two really bad Romero late period ones, uh, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. And they're also doing the 90, the 1990 Night of the Living Dead, which was what, Mick Garris, I think? Um, but yeah, all those movies are playing on the big screen. I'm not sure if they're on 35, uh, but either way, very exciting. I'm sure we'll get more information soon. And in New York City, in June, June 17th through 29th. Did I say the dates? I did say the dates. This one was Saturday, June 25th through July 30th. It's a whole month. This other one is uh, Dario Argento, 20 film retrospective. All of his movies that lead to, including a bunch of new 4K restorations of like Suspiria and some other ones. The premiere of his new movie, the North American premiere of Dark Glasses. Uh, I believe on the 18th is when that one is. But Tenebra, uh, Opera, Phenomena, Trauma, The Black Cat, even Dracula 3D, and Do You Like Hitchcock, his made-for-TV movie, are all getting, you know, big screen treatment. 35mm of Inferno. It's really exciting. A lot of Giallo stuff, which is, you know, not my favorite, but this, this is the time to go check them out and get into the Dario Argento aesthetic and what it's all about. All right, that's all the news that's fit to print at the New Flesh for today. Um, let's devote the rest of the time to talking about the three features at hand, starting with the one I'm most excited to talk about and the one that I'm assuming is the most confounding of the three. Um, <laughs> we're talking about David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. Jesse, why don't you tell me your Cronenberg relationship? Because sure. I actually have no fucking idea. It's it's a little strange because it's not... You... <laughs> Uh, it's not as like intense as it should be considering I am on a podcast called the new flesh. Um, yeah. Well, I recruited you, you had, n- <laughs> this wasn't your doing, <laughs> but I, it's not any kind of antipathy towards Cronenberg who I have a lot of respect for and really like a lot. Um, uh, but I have not, I'm just not, a, I just haven't seen all of this stuff yet. I've been me. I wish I had done a, I had more time to do a catch up before crimes of the future where I just went through everything because I have not seen scan. I, no, I have seen scanners and Videodrome, but um, that's as far back as it goes for me. If I if I recall correctly, I'm trying. To You've never this. seen. You never saw Crash. No, no. I mean, well, the, these those those are before. I mean. Oh, uh, I see. I see what you're saying. You've never seen yeah. like Shivers, Rabid, like the early yeah. stuff, The Brood. I, 
I haven't seen the brood. I was trying to, it's weird. I don't think I've seen the brood. There was some older one that I thought of that. I, I think I watched an older, someone else's older horror movie. Not them. they all sound really cool. I just haven't gotten to them. scanners and video drum. I have seen, but I'm one of them. I fell asleep. I think I fell asleep during scanners. I don't remember either of them. Well at all. Like I really, it's just, effectively. I haven't seen, it. I haven't logged them in letterbox. Cause I don't consider myself having seen. I'm them. soft announcing now that we're going to have <laughs> to just go through the film, all the films of David Cronenberg on this podcast. Yeah. It would yes. be, I mean, it's a it's a fun running joke for me that we've never covered Videodrome <laughs> um, or probably any Cronenberg, maybe. I don't know. But I mean, obviously, that is a thing we'll do at some point. Yeah, great. That we should, because I, I definitely. If only to take Jesse them. through and hold his yeah. hand. And, I, and the ones I have seen that I, I mostly really like. Uh, the Fly? The, the Fly? Is, the fly? Yeah, The Fly fucking rules. Okay, like, I, it's, it's, that's my basic ass take. My t- mom loves The Fly. Like, yeah. it's by her one of her favorite horror movies. Yeah. She definitely it's, references it's so great. it a lot. Um, anyway, I've seen some, I've, I've seen a lot of the other ones, but there's a bunch I haven't seen. I haven't seen Naked Lunch, haven't seen M. Butterfly, I have seen Crash. Um, Jesse? We can go see M. Butterfly on 35 tonight if you agree at 8 or 9 o'clock. It's, it's at the Roxy, which I'm now I, a member of. Oh, man. I yeah. If it was like, yeah, if it was Scanners, I probably would go. Um, or <laughs> this is from, like his uh, most restrained. I'm like, let's go see <laughs> let's go drama yeah. on 35. Um, I saw you watch Spider recently. I haven't seen that one. Uh, so that yeah. really sounds like I haven't seen anything, but I have seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he has I saw, a lot of. He's a prolific guy. He's got a lot yeah, of works. It, yeah, it's not like an overwhelming amount though. Like I really should have caught up by now. Um, yeah, shame seen, on Jesse. It's okay. yes. I, I but everything because what's funny is that a lot of the later period ones that I think are not as beloved by either the horror fans or just people in general, I think are really good. I really like Dangerous Method. Uh, I thought that movie was fucking funny too. Like I, I didn't feel like people got like how funny well, that movie was. <laughs> I was just telling someone I went to see that movie in theaters with two friends, and we were, got really stoned before and went in, and it was just us and like an old couple who fucking hated us because <laughs> we were laughing. <laughs> uh-huh. We had a great time with that movie. Um, it's just sort of a weird. I mean, it's the same kind of weird, weird tone that a lot of his movies have. But for some reason, I just found it pretty funny and dangerous. Method yes, it is very funny. And it's definitely intentionally so like more so the dynamics between the two characters than like what we were stone laughing at, like Kira right. Knightley's weird, <laughs> weird performance. I love her. I, yeah. And, like, I think she's I wonderful in it. Yeah. yeah I th- she's really good in it. And I even liked two that really seem to leave people cold. Uh, Cosmopolis and Maps to the Stars. I just saw ro- Cosmopolis <laughs> on 35 at the Roxy. It was my it's pretty good. Time. I don't know. My, my, my wife, Marissa, actually loves Cosmopolis. She's really into that. I feel like it, it was, was my best movie. Third list time year. watching it. I just bought the book. I actually, I have a stack of books that are all the movies that are, you know, Cronenberg basically makes movies that are books. Yeah. <laughs> Almost exclusively, except for his original ones. Um, so I bought Cosmopolis. I bought Naked. I've had Naked Lunch for years. Um, and I bought Crash, Dom DeLillo. Um, yeah, I I really like Cosmopolis as well. And that is probably the most like literary high-minded David Cronenberg adapting yeah. like heady shit that people say can't be adapted, which yeah. he seems to get off on. Like yeah. specifically directing things that are called unfilmable, which is yeah. like <laughs> I know you what? see, yeah. You yeah. got you got Naked Lunch in there, you got uh yeah. you got a Don uh, the Cosmopolis, the Don the little thing that that people famously always talk about his movies his stuff being unfilmable. Um yeah, I I I didn't really thought about that. I didn't really thought about that before, but he does seem to really try to do <laughs> try to snag the uh the stuff you said that they said it couldn't be filmed. And I actually really like Maps to the Stars, which is Me too, yeah. Und- I think it's really like people find underrated. it so cold or something, but like yes it is, but like it it doesn't 
it stands. I wanna I wanna say it stands out in his in his you know body of work a little, uh, but it also it doesn't. It has the same kind of energy. If, yeah, I don't know. I like just would have preferred he of, wrote it. You know, it well, it feels like a different type of. It feels like that one feels to me, even though Crimes of the Future is sort of touted as sort of unofficially his kind of return to body horror and stuff. Maps of the Stars is not really body horror, but it is the most kind of horror tinged movie he's made of the past twenty years. I would say, like the yeah, most horror tinged since existence, and and I guess now Crimes of the Future. But it has a kind of gothic feel to it. Maybe I just think that because it stars Mia Wisikowska, who just has gothic vibes. But like, you know, she has like burns on her hands that she covers with gloves. And like, there's, you know, there's like unseemly relationships between characters who should not have. It's very, it's to me, it plays like Hollywood gothic in a way that I think is really cool. I've seen it a couple times. I just wrote about it. I I watch it every like once a year. I I enjoy it. Yeah, it's a fun. There was a Guardian thing where they asked a bunch of film writers to give their favorite favorite Cronenberg. And after they told me, no, someone already took the fly, obviously, moron. Uh, And then told me, obviously, no, uh, Existence was taken during the time in which it took you to write the email saying, (laughs) how about Existence instead? After that, I said, well, how about Maps of the Stars? I bet nobody took that. And I would love to write about that. Even though it's not my favorite, I do kind of feel it kind of feels like my that and existence are the ones where i'm kind of like well i feel like i like these a little more than some people other people do whereas like dead ringers and the dead zone which obviously i like too a lot of people like and appreciate those because they're very good um but maps of the stars and in some of his other later, later period ones i felt more like oh i have an affinity for this because it feels like you know it's kind of like oh this is a Cronenberg movie that i like more than some people which you know, as someone who's kind of an amateur with his stuff, I, I felt that affectionately. And I wish I could have felt similarly about Crimes of the Future, but I feel like I'm the, even though I liked it, I feel like I'm the plebeian. Well, I want to, I this. almost want to walk you through it. Do you have like questions about it? Like, do you think you understand like what, ev- like, I don't know. It, it is a very cold movie. And like, as I said earlier, it's like a fusion of, his late period, like very dialogue heavy, like every line is not exact. I'm not saying it's like subtext is text, but like it's very heady. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, like let the me, concepts yeah. are all there. Yeah, go ahead. Let me let, let me ask a question that's not really about plot because the movie's not very plot based. Uh, well, I'll say up front, like, you know, just as a as so I can this won't be spoiled. I don't think this is spoiler, but I just will talk about what the movie is before you, you know, before I say something that makes no sense. But, you know, it's so it's set in the future. Human beings have evolved to feel less pain, essentially. And some people are growing new organs. Uh, Viggo Mortensen's character is a guy who has grown growing new organs. And then as performance art, because he feels no pain, he and his partner, Leah Sadu, do a show where she tattoos stuff on his organs and removes them. And it doesn't cause him pain, I guess. Although he <laughs> doesn't look comfortable when it's happening. He's not like kicking back having a grand old time uh, but they sort of attract the attention of this governed body that is investigating these these like these changes in human physiology that's uh canadian filmmaker don mckellar that's how you can tell how fucking canadian this movie is yeah and kristen stewart who's everybody every film critics fave uh crush slash hero um and so my question about the movie is not so much like, oh, why did this? What did this mean? Like, I kind of felt like I got the meaning of the movie, which has, you know, a lot to do with Cronenberg's hangups. But like, it, you're right. It, it totally is in his kind of later period style, which is, I think, a little chillier. Yes. Than than some of the other movies. Um, I and, love the weird way, like he the blocking of the actors and how they yeah, like, yeah. face the screen. Like it's it's it, 
it's a it's definitely kind of this formalized it, but eerie kind of yes, thing. Yes, it could definitely. I could see people. I I totally. I knew this movie was going to get most people, the average citizen, to like be like, I have like nothing. This does nothing for me, <laughs> um, because it's you have to. I feel like being a big Cronenberg nerd is not required for this movie, but like it really unlocks it as like a you know elegy. Uh, elegaic sort of work for a director you know what i mean like yeah it does function in that way where you're like this is him quoting himself but like not in the way where michael bay is an ambulance where well, like he, characters he are literally saying, the rock by michael yeah. bay he, he's just <laughs> like there's literal lines that are the inner beauty pageant lines from dead ringers uh-huh. like there's he's literally quoting his other movies throughout this movie and it's like the culminate it's not like a culmination of his work it's just the continuation of yeah, I'm David Cronenberg, and I make movies about the human body and h- how it merges with technology. And this one's kind of like a future sci-fi take on that. Where and like it's hilarious that this movie was like this movie was written in like '98, '99, and shoved in a drawer until now. And he claims he changed not a word of it. And like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we're reading now about microplastics in people's bloodstreams and whatnot, and all these uh, the harm that have we've done to ourselves just by existing in the in the world and again as i've said with videodrome there is the most pathetic movie of all time for so many reasons this man is incapable of making a movie that's not that doesn't predict the future in some way and i think that's so fascinating um yeah no yeah. I, I think that's all right on and like as someone who's you know i've seen some Cronenberg movies, but not all of them. I still definitely felt like, yeah, this kind of feels like this sort of, what I wrote in my review for, for Polygon is that it sort of feels like either the kind of starting the new phase of his career in sort of a, the final act sort of way, because I mean, the dude's getting up there in age. Uh, or even like he's, I mean, I don't think this is going to be his last movie. I think he's announced at least one more yes, movie. Yes, he's announced ha- one more, yeah. It has a kind of feeling of like, you know, coming towards the end. Like this, this really feels like a bookend in a lot of ways, in a really interesting way. My question sort of on a, so I felt like thematically it all tracks and and I was into it and, and it is, you know, a really interesting movie. I think sometimes perhaps more so to talk about than it is to like experience. I guess my question was not really like, Oh, why, what what was going on here? It was more like a kind of broader question. Viggo Mortensen and Leia Sadu's characters. This is so obnoxious and screenwritery, and that's more so than I intend. But that was really the question I had in terms of what I felt like I was missing something about that movie. Uh, My question was, what do these two characters want? Like, what is what are they hoping happens to them? Like, what is the that's really the only place where I felt like the movie was falling down for me a little bit was just like the momentum after like a really grabby opening and some really fascinating stuff as you're getting to know this world as it goes on. I started figuring it. I was kind of feeling like more and much more so than maps of the stars or Cosmopolis, where I did feel like there was a driving, you know, literally in Cosmopolis's case, uh, a driving narrative crimes of the future. I was like, okay, so what, what uh, I'm going to steal something. My friend Nathaniel always says uh, about movies where with that leave you feeling uncertain, which is what has to happen for this movie to end or like, you know, what ends this, these characters stories. And I liked the way this movie ultimately ends, but I was still kind of left puzzled in terms of like, and disoriented by like what how does Viggo Mortensen's character feel about this like <laughs> you know besides well, that he's not thing. in physical the, pain the, the well I guess because I want to just interpret the ending I guess now so spoiler alert 
um, we'll backtrack yeah. and talk about the movie before we talk about the ending. But for now, so that ending moment when he uh, eats the thing and yeah. is not sure if he's going to die or live or what it is. And then it's kind of like this moment of pure ecstasy, right? And yeah. like he's like he's found what is going to work for him. And this is the future. And and, and then it doesn't it, it actually cuts to like for the first time like a diegetic in movie camera you know what i'm talking about yeah like yeah. she has her little ring camera that she's using and it cuts to her filming him and him like, like what would you describe it as like a sigh of relief or like just like a like a happy moment or whatever yeah i would say a sigh of of satisfaction or something you know or not satisfaction yeah. even so but like yeah to me the ending of this movie there is like an implied like they're gonna go on they film this this is their next piece of performance art and based on what had just happened with brecken and the little boy and how that the bureaucrats fucked it all up and you know uh basically botched the live exercise the live autopsy so the public wouldn't know that human humanity is ready to digest plastic um, I feel like the ending takes on this new weight. Like, it took me the second time to get this part, you know? But, like, for me, the second time I watched it, I'm like, oh, so she's filming this, you know, this is their next piece of performance art, and they're, they're, they are going to awaken the world uh, to what Scott Speedman's character wanted. And even though he just got killed and is dead. So, to me, the ending, the characters do have a purpose. And it's like, they're going to carry on Scott Speedman's mission to open the the world's eyes to the fact that humanity can evolve to live in this earth not so basically the movie's about humans evolving to live on this planet adjusting themselves and not the planet you know what i mean so right. like humanity has to uh, to uh, evolve to live in this world cuz we can't change the world we live in it's kind of like a i mean in a world where we're all talking about climate change all the time and the environmental issues it hits fucking hard does yeah, that, no, does that do I anything think, for you? That explanation? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And like a lot of that, that sort of like expands on how I was feeling about what, again, like what the, what it means. I was kind of, yes, cool. But like, there's a lot of scenes between the beginning and the ending of Viggo Mortensen and, and Leia Sadu. And Leia Sadu, I feel like there's a little more of a, something you can track because I'm like, okay, she cares about what happened. Well, oh, I see what you're him. saying. Because like, what is, what is, yeah. what is in all those scenes with Viggo Mortensen, what is he concerned about? He well, reaches like, that point, but like, yes. is, well, I think it's a, it's a character arc for him where he's like, he's skeptical. He doesn't, he doesn't believe the speedman until he does. You know what I mean? Like right. he's very skeptical so much so that like the character, Cronenberg has him like have this he's like a dual character he's like playing for the cop you know he's an undercover cop while also doing this art and like kind of reporting on this underworld you know what I mean so like uh -huh. he's definitely of both worlds and I think you're supposed to think that he doesn't know which side he's on until you until you realize he does I guess yeah uh, yeah that's that's some of the stuff with his character is really what just didn't 100 percent track for i me, understand just felt, like, felt I, like you know i found the undercover cop stuff very hard to un comprehend the first time yeah yeah i was, I was yeah. like why is he doing this who is this guy what's going on um but let's talk about the movie yeah um from the beginning on like a thematic level so you said you your interpretation i feel like most people's interpretation of this movie is going to be not the like the literal on-screen one. It's going to be like the meta autobiographical narrative of 
Viggo Mortensen is playing David Cronenberg. Saul Tenser right. is a David Cronenberg type. He actually looks, you know, he's kind of, he looks like him. He's styled like him. He looks a little like if David Cronenberg was a character in Assassin's Creed. Yes, if he was, if, if David Cronenberg was Darkman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want a pink elephant for my girlfriend. <laughs> it's the only line I know from that movie, and I love saying it. It's my, it's like a, it's an earlier Neeson cadence than yeah, his taken. It is. Uh, get under the bed. Uh, you're going to be taken. Um, anyway. Where was yeah, I? I lost I can, yeah, I do, I, think, I do think that's that is how I was receiving it, and how I think a lot of people are receiving it as sort of like a not even auto critique, but like sort of not not quite an autobiography, but like definitely just sort like of a, a, that's me. Hey, yeah. it's me, David Cronenberg. Yeah. I bet you're wondering how I got in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, and like, what is what value does that add to the movie? What does that make the movie about? Uh, would you? Uh, and then I would say to that question that I've asked myself. Um, you know, the movie's literally about people tearing out their insides and showing it to people as art. So that is about the most literal metaphor you can get, right? Yeah. So, like, I feel like there's people who scoff at this type of shit um, because it's so on the nose in that way. And I just feel like that is just a fundamental misunderstanding of how, like, to watch a Cronenberg movie. Like, I don't know. I mean, sure. It's a totally valid criticism. Like... What do you think about that? I don't know. No, I don't. I don't. I. I don't think it's. I don't. I, I don't like, have a problem with it. Being yeah, sort it's of a very literal those. metaphor. Yeah. It's a very literal metaphor of people cutting up themselves, taking their insides out, showing it to people for for approval and validation yeah. and whatever else. So, if you if the movie takes on that quality, what would you say the movie's about? Um, because to me, I would say if this movie is David Cronenberg saying, "Hey, look, this is me." trying to live in the modern world of filmmaking back, you know, I used to make these movies, art house, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you call my early type of early works. I used to make these type of works and now I'm surrounded by all these, like what I took from like him rolling around the inner beauty pageant and, um, making fun of the guy with the ears performance is like David Cronenberg kind of mocking his contemporaries or, um the more the younger filmmakers who are now you know he has to deal with like i see a lot of people making the joke like is he is he making fun of titan here like just like ripping on someone who's like you know ripping him off and now presenting their work to the world and he's kind of bitter about it like did you get all of that like what what did you take away from it as if as you were watching going this guy is david cronenberg yeah i mean that's similar stuff like i I did kind of take that kind of elegiac like you know, things are changing and, you know, in, it's in, so hard to not take the plastic, yeah. the literal plastic as like, <laughs> this is Disney and Marvel, right? Like yeah. this is Marvel <laughs> movies. And, but he wrote it in 98. So like, what, could yeah. the, what was the analog then? What was exactly? Yeah. Well, yeah. if it's, if it's, you know, even then you're, there's certainly more like more literal, it can make even make it more literal in the amount of plastic that people <laughs> Like you know, consume in the in the consumer sense rather than the literally consuming in, into your uh, yes. digestive system sense. Um, so I yeah, I was sort of I and I didn't know when I was watching it that he wrote it that early. Although I do think there is, it's funny, it's it's part of it. Part of it is like in his kind of more recent style, but part of it does to me feel a little musty i have to say like just again more in the execution than in the ideas or like the kind of where it ends up is all great but to me it did kind of have the feel of something that was like prophesized in 
1998 or whatever and is now sort of coming true but rather than feeling prophetic it did kind of feel like oh yeah this is like a you know uh a bold statement in 1998 that now kind of feels like it does feel more elegiac and that's not a problem with the movie, but I think there are elements of it that kind of feel like, Oh yeah, this is something that's like, it feels like a smaller scale version of something you were might, that might've been more like existence in the late nineties, early two thousands in terms of like feeling a little more playful or feeling a little more like unnerving. Not that it isn't unnerving, but you know this movie doesn't always scan as horror to me which is again not a problem it's actually interest i think the the way he uses horror stuff in movies that are not really paced or shot like horror movies is really interesting yeah and that's why they lead to walkouts and stuff they're actually (laughs) they're actually war walkouts at the screening that he was at (laughs) um in new york uh, it's funny it's because they they tried to sell the thing at can as being like oh there's gonna, there's gonna be walkouts there's gonna be walkouts and it's like yeah like because in that it's gonna be like really extreme and crazy and like the way that you might walk out of crash being like oh jesus this is just too crazy like this transgressive is too out there for me. art alert yeah uh, and like there's yeah. a there's a little bit of that but like yeah the lockouts yeah. are much more likely to be like fuck this i'm bored <laughs> yeah absolutely than, like, absolutely it definitely got oversold to cronenberg did himself no favors by saying like it's going to get walkouts and then people were like primed for it to be like oh he's really returning to body horror yeah and like yes there are definitely body horror elements and yes this is the most cronenberg cronenberg movie ever maybe in terms of like sinewy fucking weird (laughs) weird tech hanging from the ceiling that you plug into like this movie has the same fleshy tech as existence basically and yeah um, looks straight out of the 80s, like the chair bed and stuff. So like that stuff made me so giddy, but I'm getting off track. What were you saying? No, yeah, I mean, just that, um, I forget where I was going with that. Uh, that, oh, that, that it feels like in some ways, to me, some of that stuff, some of the thematic stuff, even though it obviously feels, the re- I guess, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. I think sure. the reason it sort of came forward for me as being more of an interesting read about Cronenberg's own career and, and like kind of what, where he might be going next and how he might be dealing with how the world changes as when, you know, during the course of a, you know, of a lifetime uh, is because the kind of broader things that aren't just about readable about like, or, or tourist, here's what the filmmaker is saying about his own films. Some of that stuff, the kind of broader stuff did to me feel a little like, Oh, not, I wouldn't say old hat, but it just, it had a little bit of a vibe of written a while ago and now being produced on a lower budget than maybe he originally envisioned. Uh, again, that's just kind of technical. Like I in terms think of, totally, yeah. I think you're onto something. I, I think it's interesting that like, you know, this movie opens with like, you know, 15 production company logos. Like uh-huh. this is a movie that was funded by like, into, you know, 19 different companies that yeah. was shot cheaply in Athens like usually he shoots in Toronto and this was written for Toronto, but he shot it in Athens. But don't you think that shooting it cheaply in Athens adds like, I th- I love the way this movie looked oddly. Like I think it adds to like the, the, the not to say Athens looks like shit, but like the way he shoots Athens, like a fucking, de- a, a, de- uh, a, not decapitated, a, a boat that's capsized and is on its yeah. side, like looming in the background. And like, just like you kind of get like, Oh, end of the world. Or like not post-apocalyptic, but like, oh, this is what the world's gonna look like when the invite, you know, in the future when we've changed the environment so much, and like it's kind of bleak without getting into the nitty gritty details and like the cheapness, you know, obviously, but budgetary reasons for that, like that's why you can't show the world as it is probably as you would want to, but like 
it opens on that capsized ship. And like, I don't know, the second time I was watching it, I'm just like was cluing into the way it was shot and the way he shoots like the backgrounds of everything. And I'm like, this is really well done for yeah i think you know, the, the yeah. cinematography itself looks really good it's really the colors are great and it's really vivid it has kind of like a, a nice sense of shadow and color and all that um it, like i admit i sometimes the sets looked underdressed to me and some of that might be intentional but some of it did kind of feel like you know apocalypse on a budget like <laughs> like a little a tiny bit stagey the only um, time i was annoyed with anything is when you know the surgery stuff is very cgi yeah. And like, not good, not like top, you know, not like $200 million movie CGI, even though I would say that looks like shit now, but like, it doesn't look great. And like, you can tell even in the interviews, Cronenberg's like, with that type of shit now, I just say, we'll do it in post. And like, that's, that's fine. Uh, I didn't mind it as much. Cause like, obviously he still built the fucking chair <laughs> and built the bed. And like, there's still all the practical stuff in there too. But, like, it has a little over-reliance on CGI for the stuff that I think... For all the stuff that people... If this were an older Cronenberg movie, it would have been done practically and people would be talking about how gross the surgeries were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this one, like, the grossest thing is, like, a random cut to a shot where, like, a woman's just stabbing someone's leg or, like, putting a... Like, kind of, like, sawing her foot. Um, And I don't know. I'm kind of... I'm rambling. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no I, I i see what you're saying i i and it wasn't a huge you know drawback for the movie for me it's just like that contributes to a, maybe the scent of mustiness i detected in the movie is that like a lot of it's in like these kind of rooms and stuff and it kind of feels like you yeah know, it's a people in rooms movie it's a people yeah it's, it's a, a it's a chamber yeah. piece which is which is i it, like largely think is really cool there were just moments where i was like this is very chamber pc and it feels starts to feel a little claustrophobic uh when you know sort of it's like people whispering in rooms uh, even though yeah. i found it interesting uh, well on the bounce the first time i watched it you know i was clued into the david cronenberg critiquing the the horror world or the art world or whatever you want to call it critiquing the industry um i definitely clued into that but then like obviously there's the uh, there's like the more literal interpretation or like the more like I don't know how you want to call it, like the more like sci-fi parable warning type of literal thing where like this movie is about humans evolving um, uh, with our world and how that manifests and what that looks like. And so there's that, there's all that stuff. And like the first time I watched it, I didn't really know what to make of like the bureaucrat stuff. And, like, the company that makes the bed being evil, too. Like, the second time I watched it, I'm like, David, you motherfucker, this all comes together in such a beautiful way. I actually saw it the second time. I'm like, this is him saying how art can be used as propaganda to slow, like, progress and, like, radical movements. And, like, that's what I think him, like, Saul being a part, being undercover was about. And, like, you know the bureaucrats uh, working with the government to stifle radical art. And like, that's something that he has dealt with his whole life. Most iconically with shivers. Like he had, that movie was funded by, you know, the Nat, the Canadian government. And like, it's, it's this horrific movie that got, it got written up. There's a great profile. I think it was in the New Yorker that relays this art, this anecdote about, um, like there was an article about how shivers was like this horrible, disgusting movie and like called him, 
don't know if they called him like a pedophile or the, they called him like, you know, a guy of bad taste and he's gross and horrible. And he got kicked out of his house and evicted. Like Jesus. he has true, like David Cronenberg has a true history of like knowing what, uh, you know, bureaucrats and government can do to stifle art. And I think this movie is all about those type of things. And like the company that is selling this tech that all the tech in the movie is like, I want to talk about the tech in the movie and how people basically have these chairs to help them eat because we've evolved to the point where, you know, eating is, is, is hard for people. They can't eat without the aid of this technology and they can't sleep without the aid of this technology that anticipates their pain. And um, there's like these people who work for that company that are, end up uh, revealed to be like working for the government. And I thought that was just, you know, another critique of society and how like these big tech companies work with the government and shit like that so i think like there's no shortage of ideas in this in this movie would you agree yeah. <laughs> like i know yeah i agree there's i, I think, can yeah i think it's a little i don't want to say obtuse maybe that is the right word to use yes i would say parts of it are a little bit obtuse and I, in a way that i sometimes wasn't vibing with just because i was like i don't know why this is obtuse <laughs> like it's it, it, like as you say some of the ideas are not exactly like like crazy out there, you know, buried, like deep, requiring deep, deep excavation. So I was sometimes uncertain as to why some of this, like kind of scene to scene, why is this being as obtuse as it is? Because I never, I don't know. It's interesting. I never really felt that way about some of his other movies, even though they do have sort of that remove uh, from them where you might be saying, why is, why are we seeing this? What, what's (laughs) like, what's the deal with this shit? Um, I think certainly you could say you someone, I could picture someone saying that about Cosmopolis or maps of the stars. And I didn't feel it with those. I kind of enjoyed the chilly, weird remove from them. And here I was sometimes felt a little bit adrift. The performances, uh, besides that, he's also, you know, really interesting filmmaker and, and some like has interesting images. The performances often drew me back in. Kirsten Stewart drew me back in. Leah Sadu drew me back in and the images drew me back in. Yeah. Mortensen, Mortensen is doing something that's affected enough that I was a little bit not so sure if it was working, if it really worked for me. The kind of both both how he's dressed, as you say, and then sort of made up and stuff and just like the kind of whispering, growly thing he's doing with his voice. Uh, like, he sounds like George C. Scott to me in the movie, which is not a bad thing, obviously, but it's not what he sounds like normally. Uh, and it's just interesting because he's such an anchor of history of violence and Eastern promises and and dangerous method, too, really. Um, yeah. But this one, I was like, I'm not sure if i'm if, he, if he's like bringing me through the movie the way he's supposed to be but maybe maybe that's just part maybe a second time i would like his performance more yeah yeah i understand it's a weird performance it's definitely going for something he's like doing something that like other i think other actors doing that i would be like oh man that's hilarious you know he's really going for it yeah but mortensen is not that style of actor that often so it's like i feel like if it was yeah, Fassbender or Michael Shannon, who I think was also in is that Michael Shannon in Dangerous Method also in like a smaller part. Or am I thinking that somewhere? sounds right? But I don't. I could. Remember. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, if it was like someone else who does uh, like kind of crazier stuff generally, I probably would have vibed with it sooner. But Mortensen is just an. I think he's a great actor, but he's it, it would. I found him an odd fit for this role, even though he's like obviously he's Cronenberg's guy, like he has been for the past fifteen years now. I mean, twenty years. Yeah something that really hit this hit me hard about this movie and like how this movie is about people evolving over time and like how we have to adapt to the modern world. Uh, do you ever read the articles about how people are now developing like, I don't know what they call it. Like little, little tails on their necks. Like it's called tech neck. 
it's basically because we all stare at our phones all the time, like we're evolving to the to have this weird extra bone on the back of our neck. Uh. And like that's all I mean to say that like this movie is about things that are like real things and real yeah. issues. And Cronenberg has just always I just love a I mean I love an auteur. I love a singular filmmaker and Cronenberg is maybe the most singular filmmaker to me in that I mean yes he's done these literary things that are different, but like every original that he's written and directed is basically all about the same thing and they're all about this question of the human body and what it like what is having a body what does it mean to have a body and what does it mean to have a body this movie is about what does it mean to have a body in the modern world and um i just think it's so interesting that like he's taking it's a it's i don't know i'm just rambling about how much i love <laughs> david no, no, it's, it, it's it, yeah there's a lot of stuff going on in it and it does i'm just trying to a- say that this movie, it does at times feel like the Cronenberg cinematic universe where like, he's just like throwing <laughs> you around all of his other movies. Like this has a little bit of the crash transgressive sex, like uh, hurting the body. Like, you know, crash is not very dissimilar from like a movie about people hurting their bodies for fetishes instead of fetishes. It's here. It's like art, but it's also, this movie says blatantly surgery is the new sex. So yeah. like it is just crash. It's still just crash. And then it's also existence for like the <laughs> it has that little remote control thing. Yeah. And uh it just has bits and pieces of everything and it's references to dead ringers too. And like I just think, you know, if you're a Cronenberg fan, you're gonna have a fucking great time. This is another yes. Cronenberg movie that is right in his wheelhouse. Nothing's changed. He's still concerned about the same things he was concerned about in the late seventies and the mid seventies. 80s he's concerned about all the same things and this movie it's so rich in ideas that yes the first time or even the second time it's definitely overwhelming and you could definitely point out um uh issues with that but like i think i mean every once you watch a second time i'm like every scene has a purpose and every character has a purpose even like the ones i didn't understand the first time and i really clued in i i just think it's a movie that you know requires repeat viewings if you're interested um, but there's definitely people it's definitely going to split the room. It's a movie that's yeah. going to split the room. Uh, always hesitant to recommend things like this on the podcast, but obviously I have to. I'm a huge Cronenberg fan. If you see it and you are curious about it and you don't know if you liked it, like go back and watch Videodrome and Crash and all this shit and like see what he's getting, you know, getting at. And I think you'll you'll be able to appreciate this movie um, even more. Yeah, uh, this is, I've, I've never felt so certain about recommending a movie i didn't feel certain about you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> i was yes. leaving the movie i was like i don't know exactly how much i like that movie but i like for sure would recommend it to any of my film literate friends because, yeah like, i mean it's, it's just so, ob- there's so, so many interesting questions this movie's asking it's like people feel no pain like it's a that's something we haven't even talked about like it's a future where people feel no pain and like what would that look like people performing on surgery on themselves in public because uh, <laughs> why not like i don't know i just love his sick little mind there's this whole layer about human evolution being tied up in politics and how humans and their bodies are always under surveillance and threatened to be controlled by the government in some way shape or form and i love that the movie that's another le- layer i didn't really unlock until the second viewing which is like you know, this movie is all about bureaucracy and shit but i didn't really understand what that meant and like I really do think like the ending, you know, Saul is this cross between the current evolutionary process and the next stage of it. And 
the ending to me seems to embrace the change as something natural rather than something crazy or strange and weird. And against all odds, human will, we will develop to adapt to their surroundings rather than the other way around. And it's actually kind of hopeful <laughs> and interesting. I thought the hope, like a Cronenberg movie having hope at the end was interesting. Do you thought, did you find that hopeful or did you, at uh, all? I don't know that I found it hopeful necessarily like in the moment, but I think that makes sense that you're, that, that you arrive there. I think there is a kind of, uh, not resignation, but the sort of like, yes, not or Zen or anything like that. Those are all the wrong words, but like kind of acceptance, let's say acceptance, acceptance. Uh, to this movie that I did find interesting. And probably if I'm being honest, threw me off a little bit with first, the first and only <laughs> the time I watched it. I'm sure we'll I'll vibe with it more a second time because it's not exactly what I was expecting. Um, maybe, you, you know, like, and maybe that's something that's really good about it is that it, it ends in a way where you are sort of, maybe I was expecting something bleaker or something crazier, but rather than a kind of, again, it's not a feeling of serenity, but it's kind of a, it is a feeling of acceptance that I think I wasn't necessarily expecting. So yeah. yeah. I think, somebody I think asked at the Q and a or somebody it was David fear. He was the only one asking questions. <laughs> he asked David, like, do you think humans are devolving as a, or we're, des- we're devolving as a culture and a society as a people? And he said, well, this is really interesting. Um, he said, basically the, ev- the definition of evolution does, it does not have a positive, like we imply the way we talk about it, that like evolution is a positive thing, but it doesn't have to be. And like de-evolution is, you know, it's funny that the word de-evolution exists because it's like acting as if it's the opposite of evolution. Whereas evolution could very well, me and you could see evolution as being de-evolutionary. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Like he basically said evolutionary or evolution is like neutral. It's not positive or negative. It just is. It's, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, Um, that's smart. Yeah, he's a smart guy, that David Cronenberg. Um, <laughs> I wanted to also mention, we never really talked about the plot, and there's just a little bit. I just think it's really interesting. The movie opens uh, with a little boy eating a plastic garbage bin and, like, just eating it. Not, like, like chewing on the plastic, swallowing it. You can see that, like, he's got some acid coming out of his mouth to allow him to eat it. And then we see his mom kill him with a pillow. Uh, so, you know, this movie called Crimes of the Future, boom, we've already got a crime. But is the crime of the future the murder, Jesse? Or, <laughs> um, you know, is it Crimes of the Future? Well, how, do, how do you take the title, Crimes of the Future? Because I feel <laughs> like it could be, um, you know, as is, you could say it's as uh, Crimes of the Future as in committed by rather than during the future. Like, uh, did the future commit these crimes or <laughs> are we committing crimes within this timeline? That's a stupid question. You don't have to answer that. You can, <laughs> no, if you want to. I mean, I do think I was thinking about the title because I was, you know, especially because I was like, well, the main thing is that it like was something else. It was some other movie he called crimes of the future. And then yeah, so the, of his, the, uh, like a not short, but like a 65 minute movie that is not widely circulated um, of his from like 1970. Um, and I was puzzled by the title at first. I did feel like, yeah, the, you know, I, like the, uh, my interpretation would be that like the crimes of the future are like, uh, like 
the you know are kind of set in motion by by us now or whatever <laughs> like we're the we're evolving towards whatever crimes we're the humanity is going to commit down the low down the right the line but i confess i did find the title rather puzzling in in the moment <laughs> So we have Not that opening, crimes. yeah. We have that opening scene, and then like she calls her husband or her ex Scott Speedman and says, "Hey, I killed our son. Come get his body." And then what happens? We cut to like the performance, or we cut to Vigo and is sleeping in his weird bed that we learn is like anticipating his pain. And then we see them do their performance art and stuff. And then like we see them go to to this bureaucratic national organ registry where we meet. We haven't even talked about Kristen Stewart acting, giving that twitchy performance that is like you know i think i saw someone call her like a twitchy podcast fan or something and like that is a good description she's very mousy um but like yeah i don't know i just wanted to mention that uh opening scene because i find it so striking this little boy eating plastic and then getting killed obviously it's very striking uh but the movie memorable yeah very memorable so the movie is just like these different art exhibitions and then we watching Saul as he kind of goes between these two worlds and finds out what he believes about the future and stuff. So throughout the movie, while they're doing all the exhibitions, Saul is also working undercover to help uh, the police uh, understand this, you know, the, the, the radical people like the Scott Speedman character and how he has this underground faction of people who all are getting surgeries on themselves so they can adapt to eat plastic like the boy from the opening scene who we find out is the son of Scott Speedman um, who was born naturally with the ability to do that which is where society is heading and that's what the movie's about Um, so Scott Speedman and all of his okay So they put the surgery on themselves and then they are manufacturing these purple plastic. Uh, they're, they look like candy bars, but they're just plastics. And that's like what they you know, subsist on. And if you're if you don't have the surgery and you're not able to ingest plastic, you eat it and you die. But spoiler alert, at the end, the big reveal is, you know, Saul eats it and it works for him because he has, uh, you know, accelerated evolution syndrome or whatever. He has the same thing as a. Uh, Brecken. So Scott Speedman wants Saul Tensor to perform an autopsy on his son as a performance art piece publicly because his son has the insides that would prove that humankind can evolve to live in this world as we've live you know the world as we've made it today so uh scott speedman's actually saying like again it's hopeful it's like look look at my son's insides my son is proof that the future is is quote unquote bright (laughs) or like we can it's sustainable um uh don't look at my boy like this you know monstrous freak it's actually you know this is what we can evolve to be so that's like what he's all about and that radical movement's all about So, spoiler alert again, the big reveal at the end, when they're actually doing the performance art piece, you find out that, you know, the bureaucrats and the government and the, 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 you know, Saul's been reporting to that guy undercover, those people, including Kristen Stewart, 
the bureaucrat, Tim Lin. Those people have gotten, you know, gotten to the body first and sabotaged it. So there's no evidence that is in of, you know, of what his insides can do. And then Scott Speedman's killed by the the bureau, not the bureaucrats, but the the two wild ladies who work for the company that makes all the weird technology. Um, it all makes sense when you see the movie, I promise. It sounds crazy when I'm describing it, but I really wanted to get it all through it because I think it's crucial to understanding the movie to understand what they're all fighting for and whatnot. And um, I already mentioned what the ending means to me and the fact that Saul eats the plastic and um, it works for him and she's recording it and they're going to let the world know um, about this... Uh, human evolution so i don't know i think neon really dropped the ball on the tie-in merch for this movie if this if this were an a24 movie you know we'd be eating the popcorn out of plastic trash buckets <laughs> that say crimes of the future on it and then we'd be walking out of the theater with the crimes of the future edition saw tensor operation board game <laughs> and a custom fleshy surgery control device that's actually just the simon game because you know true. it has all those colors on it <laughs> It does neon look like needs, that. Neon needs to step up. They're they're stepping to A24 in every way, every way, but the merch, the swag game, I feel like is way off. Yeah, so you're on notice, Neon. I love that the way he... He's been doing so many interviews lately, and they're all really great. You should seek them all out. The New Yorker one's really good. The Vanity Fair one's really good. I just love that they ask him, like... He's like, I don't mean to make these scary movies that scare people. Like, <laughs> these are just things I think about that, like, I'm worried about and, like, I'm anxious about. And I'm putting that in movies. And, you know, sorry, I don't mean to scare anybody. Like, this is what I'm concerned about. And yeah. I just find that so endearing. And, um, yeah, I I just love... And I rewatched Crash the other day. And, like, there's a line in Crash where James Spader says to... Elias Codius or whatever his name is, Elias Codius. Um, you know, you're doing this. What about the reshaping? Uh, it's like, you, why are you doing all this crashes and stuff? And he says, you know, he explains that it's about the reshaping of the human body by modern technology and all that stuff. And then later he says he's doing it for liberation of sexual energy. And then James Spader goes, you know, what happened to your, you know, our bodies and shaping modern technology? And he goes. Uh, that's just a crude sci-fi concept. It floats <laughs> on the surface and doesn't threaten anybody. So, like, that is such a funny, like, Cronenberg th uh, thumbing his nose at the audience, you know, of, like, saying what his movies are about. And be like, no, they're about this. They're about sex. It's not about anything else. And I just think it's so fun that he's putting his middle finger out to people, but also clearly having fun with it. And, um, yeah, this is just, it's right up there with Crash, right up there with Videodrome for me, which is an all-timer. I love this movie. I could talk about it forever, but I'm just rambling. And we have other movies to talk about. Uh, the title of this movie was originally Painkillers. That was the original script that was in his drawer. They changed it to Crimes of the Future, which is also the name of one of the first movies he directed, like a student film. Uh, it's like 70 minutes. It has nothing to do with this movie. It's also called Crimes of the Future. It's hard to find, but now they just screened it this week, you know, because the new movie's coming out. Uh, as I mentioned, shot in Athens cheaply fairly cheaply um yeah i don't know what else i wanted to say here other than go see crimes of the future it made like a million dollars this weekend which is like you know admirable it did okay uh yeah what else watcher jesse liked the watcher a little more than i did 
but I went and saw it again uh, to get in the mood and uh, so I could be able to talk about it. And it has kind of stuck in my mind, even though I didn't love it since January. Uh, but why don't you tell us about Watcher? Yeah, so it's a very simple movie. Uh, Micah Monroe plays a woman named Julia who moves to Bucharest with her. I don't know if they say it's her husband or her boyfriend. Um, I feel like people, different reviews reviewed it different, re- referred to it a different way, but with her partner, um, who's moved there for a job and has and we grew up in Romania, so he knows the area a little better. She's sort of unmoored in this new location where she doesn't have nobody buddy and doesn't have a job of her own. He has a very like high powered some kind of marketing type job. Um, so she's sort of left to her own devices and she becomes convinced in their new apartment that someone across the way is watching her and perhaps even stalking her throughout the neighborhood as she goes out and goes about her business doing grocery shopping, et cetera, during the day. Uh, so she becomes increasingly paranoid and tries to, of course, to tell her husband and uh, or her partner and, and, and other people about this. Um, and of course they do not, they're a little skeptical about whether she's really being followed or really being watched. So it's just kind of a paranoid slow burn about like, is she being watched? Who is this stranger? Is it the same, this person she sees on the street? Is it the same person that she sees in silhouette across the way? Um, so it's just, you know, I've heard described as sort of a Polanski riff or like a, you know, early seventies. Euro horror. Yeah. New apartment, new city. Yeah, I don't even know if it's as complicated as all that. Like, it's it's really just like a pretty straightforward, you know, uh, pandemic friendly because it's like only like 10 people in the whole movie. Uh, thriller. Like cat and, and mousey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just sort of a slow burn of a like, am I being watched and kind of creepy images and, and she sort of starts to investigate who this person might be and all this. Uh, <laughs> I liked it a lot. I mean, maybe I just had kind of medium expectations after where it didn't, you know, I guess it got good reviews at Sundance and got good reviews in general, but uh, there was like a glut of, of horror movies at Sundance that all sort of tried to be the, you know, this year's big fancy elevated horror movie. And the other two from this this group that I saw, I really did not like at all. So I think I sort of was tossing Watcher in there. I was like, God, oh, and I think I heard not so great things from you, Brad, and, and some other reviews that were not that enthusiastic or that you thought it was minor or whatever. So when I finally caught up with it on a screener, I was really pleasantly surprised. I just thought, I just think this is a well-wrought horror-tinged thriller uh, with Micah Monroe at the center, who I think is great. It's a great kind of modern-day scream queen. Could not be more stripped down this movie yes yeah. yeah it's got a real nice but it's not where it, where i would kind of was expecting it to fall short or kind of hoping it wouldn't fall short but kind of wondered is in the actual department of tightening the screws and making you feel tense and, and creeped out because sometimes these really minimalist things are more concerned with trying to you know uh, show off a barely concealed subtext or uh, you know write to a specific theme and I'll read a pull quote from my man, Alex Dowd, uh, my former AV Club editor, who wrote about this, uh, wrote a review of this movie that I mostly agree with about Watcher. And I think kind of captures why I liked it so much in just like a sentence. Uh, he says for, I think it's called Digital digital Trends, uh, theme never hijacks tension in Watcher, which is content to let meaning emerge organically from the familiar cat and mouse games of its slender genre plot. That is very true to me. That rings very true to me because 
there is stuff here about believing women and you know kind of yeah, the say a better title. gaslighting believe, yeah. hashtag believe women <laughs> hashtag, yeah i feel like as soon as it was over my uh my wife was like believe women yeah yeah but um yeah the ending really it almost undoes the whole thing for me but I'll, we'll talk about that in a minute um and i see i even i i think it some it puts the kind of creepiness of it first to such a degree that it didn't feel ever to me like it was writing towards like, oh, I really wanted to make a horror movie about this. Like it sounds, it just feels a little more organic than that. As, as Alex says, Chloe uh, Akuno made the movie. It's her first feature. I think she did one of the VHS segments. I think it's just yes. a fair bet. Now, every time there's a new horror movie uh, from a first time director, you can assume they did a VHS segment. She also um, wrote bodies, 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 which is an a 24 movie. That's oh, coming out. I didn't know that she wrote that. That's she's cool. one of, Oh my God. One, two, three, four, five, six writers in that movie. It's going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's good. I haven't even seen the trailer yet. Um, I have avoided but... it dutifully, but I'm excited <laughs> to watch it They're, They will not show it to me. Um, <laughs> I've been trying for weeks. It's screened in the, New York twice. Get the A twenty four runaround. We're gonna miss the. Uh, you think we, we might miss the draft house unveiling with the uh, you know pork sausage yeah, or whatever? Don't think this <laughs> one's getting that treatment, but maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I so I just I mean I don't want you don't want to oversell a movie like this because no. it really is a pretty slim you know s- small movie. But I just thought this movie like has the goods in terms of it's very compelling. I think it's one of those movies where I started it after 9 PM and didn't fall asleep. At yeah. Home. Very watchable. <laughs> and it's 90 minutes. And it um, just, I thought it worked. And Micah Monroe is very good. I think she's, she's great at portraying a kind of ambivalence that doesn't read as like super, you know, damsel in distress, but also really showcases her vulnerability. Um, it's sort of an, uh, uh, next step for her after it follows in the guest where she's playing these young women who are on the kind of on the cusp of adulthood. Now this is someone who is an adult, but maybe doesn't always feel like it or doesn't, feels a little helpless. Oh, she's in this constantly situation. saying, uh, do you want me to leave the room? Am I a child? Or do you, yeah, do you yeah. treat me like a grown up? Yeah. It's yeah, so funny that yeah. you mentioned that. Um, um so yeah, but yeah. you, you were not as, you were a little cooler towards it. You know what? <sighs> yes. And no, like I agree with everything you're saying. I found, I find this movie very alluring as the word I'm using because like I saw it six months ago and every time someone references it and like reminds me that it exists I'm like oh yeah I didn't love that but like it was pretty good it was okay and like I I just think I mean my the first time I saw it I logged it as two and a half and I said it's dull and the payoff is not one and that the ending is nonsense in terms of in-movie believability and just too familiar and does nothing new with the premise. My, uh, Mika, Micah is divine, which all like I, and then second viewing, I feel largely the same way and that I was mostly underwhelmed, especially by the ending, but I still think it's really effective for the first hour. And like, there's plenty to admire. It looks really nice. Um, it, it like, I really love the atmosphere details of like, she's in Romania or whatever. She's in like a new country and she doesn't speak the language all those touches of like her not speaking a language and being around her boyfriend who and and all of his friends who were speaking a different language around her and just keeping her out. And like those grace notes, so to speak are all very good and make me again. That's why I'm like, I, I gave it three stars the second time. Like I do want to, I'm saw I'm recommending this movie. I do like it. Um, It loses points for me. Like it has like, I did not need the fucking dream sequence scare that is in there. A totally mm. superfluous dream sequence scare. I just that's just a pet peeve. Very stupid. Um, and it has a literal Chekhov's gun in it. But whatever. Um, it's in other words, it's okay, Jesse. But it's nothing to lose your head over. 
that's a that's a that's some foreshadowing for you. Maybe. <laughs> um, so basically, my relationship with this movie is that I desperately, I clearly, really want to like it a lot, and I don't know why. I I feel like I'm like performatively trying to like this movie more than I do, but I do like it. I'll settle for just liking it rather than really liking it. Um. I just we'll talk about the plot in a second because I want to get into why I don't I don't like the ending. There's just again this I would would you say this movie is where like the subtext is text where like it's feminist and it's about believe women like or would you say no, the I subtext mean, is subtle enough? I would say it's not that it's subtle or anything, but it is really is concerned with evoking a feeling. And yes, and as I mentioned with those details, like it's yeah, yeah. More, more so than it's concerned with. What's what are we saying? I mean, it is very clearly saying, you know, like both that, you know, believe women and also like the way that people can kind of contribute to a feeling of gaslighting, even if they're not obviously her, her, uh, you know, everyone in her life isn't trying to gaslight her. They're not. It's, I, I'll say it's. A, I'll say as means of spoiler, this is not a vast conspiracy where eighty different men are all conspiring to gaslight her or anything like that. So in that sense, it's about how the world sort of gaslights women without even you know intending to necessarily and like there's the whole i like another layer of it that worked that i caught the oh, it's so stupid to say i caught the second time because it's so <laughs> obvious but i'm like mm, you know jesse it's almost like she's the watcher <laughs> and not only the antagonist oh, of the film yeah, and you know what i'm gonna pull further away and say maybe the watcher is us the audience <laughs> <laughs> stroke you can't see me stroking my chin thoughtfully. yeah hmm. yeah I interesting mean, it has but like it, that it has that element where i think her boyfriend says to her she like tells him for like the second time that he, this guy is staring at her and he goes maybe he's just staring back at the girl that's staring at him right and like right. all that stuff is so interesting to me and i just not that the movie doesn't explore it but like maybe there's something underdeveloped there but like i don't know i want to like this movie more than i do but i still like it what is yeah. that why am i feel I, that way I think I, I see what you mean. Like you, this isn't like something like this is a weird comparison. It's a totally different type of horror movie, but X where it has a certain thing that it's doing and it has kind of an obvious subtext, but also has like several other dimensions that it sort of works and it sort of works on a bunch of different uh, levels. And it's, and it's fun in, in, in a bunch of different ways, but also serious in a bunch of different ways. This movie is really just like a, a straightforward thriller that wants you to feel wants you to give you a good shiver it really is like a pretty it's, it's, it, i get why they put it out on more screens than anything has ever been on for ifc <laughs> uh certainly for ifc midnight i think on anything maybe except maybe boyhood in terms of ifc movies in terms of wide release they never get 700 screen review uh, re releases unless it's something like boyhood that had like genuine oscar buzz and i can see why because despite the fact that this is a very small movie it's a very accessible movie it's not like it's kind of you know the accessible version of the you know stereotypical a24 there was a there was like a there was like a 60 year old couple next to me that just caught it at an amc and yeah. like when the shutter logo came up i was like this is fun i like yeah. that there's just <laughs> random adult people going to the movies catching a shutter movie yeah i mean i don't think it's playing at my hometown theater otherwise i would tell my mom to go see it. she'll watch it when it's on Shutter. she'll watch it on um, shutter on i yeah. believe it's june 21st or maybe that oh, they might they might be that might be the vod date i'm not sure if it's okay. the same um, but yeah, it's it really is like first and foremost a well wrought genre movie that is not so yes, crazy like gory as that, like a, that an older person couldn't couldn't stomach it. You know, you don't have to be a horror hardcore person. Yeah, and as like a debut filmmaker calling card, it's quite good. And like, yes. I can't wait to see what she does next. Um, so I'm definitely like skewing more positive now than I was like six months ago. But there's still something. Okay, let's talk about 
the ending uh spoiler alert so basically she's stalked the whole time by this guy right and she thinks it's the guy across the street and like of course no one believes her uh turns out of course of course of course woman's intuition what do they say about that right uh she was right and um her neighbor gets beheaded and she basically you think she's dead you think she gets killed which i think would have been more effective of an ending and then she gets up and shoots him and kills him and it's over right and like like doesn't that just do you not think the ending sucked <laughs> like i just i couldn't believe I, I mean i'm fine with her getting killed at the end i actually thought that was like strong i'm like wow they really are just going like hashtag believe women believe them they're gonna get killed if you don't and i appreciated the audacity and then i think i was disappointed by her getting up and picking up the gun and killing him uh i just think it's too it's such a cliche like quote-unquote happy ending for one of these things what do you think I, I it worked for me mo- mainly because of how sharply honed it was like it was suspenseful and also just like it like it kept me really like it keeps the suspense going uh even after you think that character is dead f- for like oh, okay is, the, is this guy gonna get caught like I think it's clever when you can get, keep the suspense going past the like is this character going to get killed or not suspense and then as soon as the tension is broken it ends, which I think I, I'm a big fan of, you know, like there's, there's not some like kind of drawn out ending between her and, the, you know, she like gives the husband the oh, look. I can imagine the ending that uh, the studio pitched. Do you want to hear it? Oh. Um, okay. So uh, the last scene happens, everything's the same. And then the camera pans. Um, it's an, or we cut to another day and the camera pan, does that pan thing where they're sitting on the couch and it zooms out and the camera swirls around and we see the figure in the window still. Yeah, right, right. There's another watcher. Yeah, and then and there's always another watcher. Yeah, we got watcher too. But like that's actually not a terrible ending. Like it, it, <laughs> it you just kind... sold yourself on watcher two. Yeah, I sold myself on watcher two. No, not even as a pitch for watcher two. I think that's an effective ending as if to say, you know, more of your sub more of your subtext being like, Yep, there's always it's all it's still still happening. Just because yeah. this one situation resolved doesn't mean the the issue is over. To me, the kind of like the satisfying part of that, the ending is sort of and maybe I maybe I'm projecting this, but like the kind of you know, the look she gives her husband who is really kind of accidentally complicit in this situation. Yes. Uh and then kind of it just ends on that, is a kind of like it's like it's not played for last, but it has kind of a mordant, mordantly funny like you guys are going to have a real talk now, aren't you? Yeah, this is going to be a fun uh, go back to the apartment chat for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I just found it kind of satisfying. Again, just on a pure genre level, I was just with it and into it. And like that, it's just such a nice feeling. On that level, I totally agree. I just my I just have nitpicky problems that took me out of it. That yeah. like stuck with me to the point where I feel like if I hadn't seen it the first time and just saw it in theaters, I wouldn't have all these nitpicky complaints because it does work. It's very effective. The scenes where she's like being stalked around town and like he's following her, but like, is he and, like it, the movie does genuinely, I think, do a good job of making it. You're not really sure if she I mean, clearly the guy's around, but the boyfriend I, makes some fair points, too, of like, you know, <laughs> this is this is our neighborhood. Of course, he's around. Like, yeah, you don't know. You don't street. know for sure. Yeah. Is if, even if 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 person across the street is because it's, it's yes. hard to tell. You're like you're just like seeing a guy, but like yeah. and like I can imagine. You know, I, I feel like being a a woman would watch this movie way differently than I would, and they'd probably yeah. like relate to it in a way on like a base level of like, yes, this is how I feel walking out of my fucking house like any time. Yeah. yeah, and like 
you got you got to give it points for that too. Like it is like a universal experience. Yeah, uh, as a woman of a, uh, as a horror movie, and I think it is mostly good. I have my qualms, but absolutely go see it in theaters if it's playing near you. I think that's the yeah. best way to experience it. No yeah. fucking question. Now this next movie, I think, is totally <laughs> fair for you to just rent at home. I uh, think that's going to be your only choice. And most, it's not playing in the New York City area, as far as oh, is I that right? I th- for I some don't... reason, I thought I saw someone say it's getting a theatrical in day and date, so it must I think be, it, it must I think be it out must, somewhere. It, yeah. yeah, it's around. I hope it's getting the the uh, at some you know a good place to see it would be the fucking drive-in. If they it would if any, be. no one's gonna, it's I mean, almost, the drive-in's just gonna play Top Gun. But like, this is be not fun. quite a screen life movie, but like it's a first person. I mean, it's not a screen life movie. It's a first person like, um, how would you describe it? Like a YouTuber movie. Yeah, it's you know it's a found footage movie. Found it's footage just, movie, duh. Yeah, Why yeah. was that so far from my brain? But, but it is, it, but it does have the screen life. In, in, you know, I mean, like it, it's screen life to me is like a sub a subgenre of found footage, and this is in it's that kind of area. a merging it's, of the two. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I believe the show I wrote that on my notes. The only note I have: the internet's number one live improvised music show broadcast from a moving vehicle. Yeah, that um, made me laugh. Is, I th- I was it's, yeah. so it's funny, but that's also like this is a real thing that this the actress playing sort of a version of herself. Yes, so doing. that's where the controversy starts to come in. So let's talk about the movie first, and then yes, we'll talk yes. about um why people are mad at this movie. So you just watched it. I don't know anything about your opinion. I haven't seen you log it. What did what did you think of Dash? <laughs> <laughs> so this is a movie where uh, it's such a. Str- I mean, this is a really strange movie in so many ways. Um, and trying to see it, trying to fit into something like screen life or fun footage, which has these very clear conventions, and even when they're doing something really inventive and new like there's there's parameters like that's kind of the appeal right of found footage or 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 screen life is that you you can't go beyond these certain borders of the screen um that's all very highfalutin but jesse but what the fuck is the movie about it's about uh uh, this woman named annie hardy who's also the name of the actress question mark um who is sick of being quarantined i mean okay i'm there's so many questions i'm gonna have about this movie so i'm gonna try to summarize it without questioning those things at the time this woman is sick of being quarantined she's in los angeles she's a musician she has this streaming show on the insta or whatever it is uh and goes to uh to england to kind of get out of her apartment and uh crashes with a bandmate of hers who was in her indie rock band which again a real a real indie rock band that this person was in uh i don't know if this guy this guy i don't think was actually in the band with her but it's supposed to be a the, the band exists uh and then she winds up uh taking his car and giving a ride to an old woman and so she's filming and the whole thing is filmed through you know her live stream basically you're watching the live stream um and the old woman is not quite right. She's supposed to like drive sort of an impromptu sort of Uber Eats situation. Instead of delivering food, she's going to deliver this old woman from one location to another and things go spectacularly wrong. But that really doesn't cover what kind of a weird movie this is because it's set during COVID and the woman is shown very early to be anti-mask COVID is a, you know, COVID isn't real or COVID does nothing, doesn't kill anybody. Uh, and is like kind of, I, I would describe her as dirtbag libertarian. I mean, like, it's right? def- <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's definitely going for like, well, I thought it was going for MAGA cult, like MAGA well, I, type. She's kind shit. of, the, the, it is mostly, but it's kind of in this edgelord way uh, that to me kind of feels like, 
voting for Trump because it's funny. It's like almost it's like a little somehow, you know, the, the horseshoe theory idea that like, you know, as you go really far left or really far right, it ends up sort of coming together again. And yeah. dirtbag left some of the dirtbag left people kind of have that vibe. And yes. this is like even further than dirtbag left, where it's not even horseshoe theory, it's like full circle theory, where she's sort of full circle back because she has a cer- a few sort of like hippie or edgelord or like punk rock kind of ideas as evidenced by her being in this indie rock band. But, but what it amounts to is like, you know, making jokes that have slurs in them and like, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an, it's like a, I found what I found really interesting about it is that I've definitely never seen a movie about this particular type of character. And that's why I'm like sympathetic to it. Cause I'm like, I can't tell. I mean, I think it is an attempt at, pandemic and MAGA cultural commentary. Um, but is it, and I see a lot of people who think it's just perpetuating what it's selling. And like, in my mind, I would, I don't know. I know the director has spoken on this and I didn't even look it up, but like, I don't know what he said, but like, I can't imagine him making this movie being like, I'm putting this character in a good light. People are going to think she's really cool. Like, I just can't imagine putting this character in your movie and not knowing how off-putting she is and how that is obviously it has to be the point you know what i mean it does and it doesn't so i'll say two things that are (laughs) are good about this movie one is that i really i really hooked me because i was like who is this person this is not who you usually see as a horror movie protagonist which is really interesting and it was hard to tell like if this person is joking or like if this person is more of an edgelord or like genuinely believes all this stuff because she has kind of that that affect of like wait are you serious or you just you just think it's you know you just think people are dumb to be offended and i don't really believe this stuff but i like offending people yeah but then you still the realize irony oh, crap yeah the the kind of irony poison thing and which is where the kind of dirtbag left thing comes in but then she does seem to have some genuine libertarian views i just thought that that character really compelling initially and i also think this movie has some like basic kind of crazy spook house carnival ride effects yes that are that are pretty good yes uh in terms of like how the camera being fling flung around and what's happening when and kind of not going through a lot of boilerplate in terms of like the setting up the horror stuff and just sort of just okay we're doing this now we go and it's like full of you know spewed vomit and shit and stuff and like it's you know it certainly has some energy and i've seen repeatedly people who are kind of defending it saying oh but if you see it with a crowd it would be really good um and maybe i could see a crowd reacting to it but i do think like there's some really weird shit about making Annie Hardy the main who's the she's the woman who's both the name of the character and the name of the actor the main person here um I don't mean like oh it's irresponsible or anything like that I just felt like the even reading more about her afterwards just a little bit about her and maybe that's not a, a fair thing to bring to a movie but on the other hand like she's playing a character with her name so I think it maybe it is fair I started feeling like, okay, she definitely is anti-vax. Oh, yeah. Uh, I fully believe she is the character. I do believe. I, I, and then, like, yeah. I mean, the director has even said, like, oh, this is a more cartoonish version of her. You know, she's uh, not quite as aggressive. Okay, you know? sure. <laughs> but, yeah. And, well, and reading her Twitter or whatever, it does, I would say, like, okay, she's a little more of the kind of uh, anti, you know. How do, anti- how do they know each other? Like, how the yeah, fuck not, does I this... Mean, chick end up in this movie like it's yeah she's a little more on the kind of hippie side i mean it's not hippie in the in the sense that like any 
principles of like a 60s hippie would be would apply here because but it's kind of like that's why i say edgelord libertarian or like dirtbag libertarian because it's not you know uh, quite in the like the white nationalist level necessarily and the kind of like just more in the nobody can tell me what to say or do kind of thing um and knowing that about her my question is like okay so why are you introducing me to this person in this movie and like fair enough if you feel like you're making some kind of point about or kind of satirizing or showcasing the, the her horribleness yeah and i don't know why i'm giving the guy the benefit of the doubt i think well, just because i kind of like the movie <laughs> yeah i mean i understand giving you the benefit of the doubt because there are parts there she's so cartoonishly unpleasant that it must be satire but to me, and this is such a minor part of the movie, but the movie is also only like at its core is only about 65 minutes long once you take this stuff out. Um, there's a, the, so the credits roll after like the 70 minute mark or a little less. And then the credits are Annie Hardy doing like her, her kind of musical shtick, which is like improvising sort of uh, body raps about names. And that's what she does at her show, I yes. guess, is like, you know, drives around doing these things. And they have her do like the whole credits in her car doing like you know not all the names in the credits but probably like probably 50 or 60 names that she does like these body raps about like improvised and that was also the point where i was like okay so and also the okay so also the story of the movie which just kind of ends i don't know if this is this is a spoiler if you're gonna watch the movie just sort of ends with a like eh, anyway you know kind of a shrug like so i just was increasingly having any trouble detecting any kind of feeling of satire of this character and when you kind of had this fun roll call at the end where she's like doing her thing you know so much so much fun that she says come about a different but you know she rhymes a bunch of things with the word come or whatever so you're yeah, saying yeah. this is a celebration of annie not a i'm saying yeah. it's something's going on here and it's not doesn't seem like satire i just was that was my takeaway at the end of it even thinking the character was interesting and also thinking some of the horror stuff was like fun in kind of a cheap spook house way my takeaway was why why am i spending time with this person especially because it's not a character i mean at least maybe it's to some degree a character but like this person is based in reality. So why are you introducing me to her? If you don't think she's, if you don't think she's horrible, or if you, if you think she's horrible, why are you introducing me to her? And if you don't think she's horrible, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I think so, a lot of, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I think having that person at the center of your movie and have a bunch of horror stuff happen to them is inherently a good idea. And <laughs> yeah, I yeah. just, I think you're right that like, there's no, he never, it's never clear whether he wh whether the director think thinks it's satire or is earnestly like putting his friend who believes this stuff in a starring role. But like, I don't know. I, putting that aside, um, <laughs> doesn't like that performance, like the protagonist being that cartoonish and over the top. I mean, I would say she's like committed to it and like is not bad in this movie. Like, I, I just. I, I thought this movie worked in like exactly like you said, like the roll no you said roller coaster or like theme park ridey type yeah, of way. Yeah. Um it works in like the found footagey way. I think the you know, shaking of the camera obscure I mean, obviously done for budget reasons and stuff, uh gets in its own way and obscures the goods. But I really genuinely like enjoyed the ride and found it like I mean, yes, it's very obnoxious, but like I just I found it fun and, and did also think it would be fun in a theater with people. But I had fun watching it at home as like, I don't know, man, these people are around and they live in our society. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not opposed to seeing one 
starring in a horror movie. Um, I do understand that it's a little thorny. And that maybe is that the most interesting thing about this movie, though? Like, is, yeah. Is oh, it's it? for sure the most interesting about <laughs> thing about it. So I kind of felt like it lets me down when it becomes clear that there's it's kind of just spoiler alert, like it's spoiler be... alert. They don't kill her. And I think that's right. going to piss I, a lot of people off. Well, I mean, and I think you could even make you could there are a million different like fun, crazy, satirical points you could make or even not even that satirical, just like sort of rueful points you could make without killing. I'm not saying you need to punish this woman. Um, I'm just saying I need to feel a little more like like the movie isn't directly celebrating her and like sort of celebrating what her resilience or sort of her, her you know I feel like at some point maybe it goes for sort of a Beavis and Butthead like yeah this person's an idiot but like isn't it also kind of funny how dumb she is and I just didn't find her that funny um, and like I also just found some of it like okay this is a movie called Dash Cam where like a lot of it is just cell phone cam- you know it's like that, oh yeah that, the, t- yeah, the title being key. dash cam is ridiculous <laughs> it's confusing and yeah. it's even confusing when this movie is set because like she makes a passing reference to no vaccines but like there weren't there weren't lockdowns with, that she's experiencing which are these really heavy lockdowns those were not happening at a time when vaccines existed for covid so is she just happy? Well, yeah, to but be- those people. <laughs> yes, but that's what those right wing people believe. Like they have no idea what reality is like. They think they hear on Fox that there's lockdowns, and they go out and say there's lockdowns right now. Well, you, we see it though. We see out. people yeah. on on lockdown. We see an empty airport. We see an empty store. Oh yeah, we see, I, I you know. Seen it in a while. I forgot. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So I just I, I think the movie is intended to take place because I think part of what's supposed to make her so like kind of transgressive is she goes and flies to England. If she goes and flies to England in may 2021 she's like taking a risk she's not like doing something insane like lots of people did that people are doing that way before then this is pretty clearly i think supposed to be may 2020 where it's like you know you can travel but like you're really not supposed to etc so she's in la and she feels like she's trapped in this apartment and all that um i mean again maybe i think again that's what you bring up makes a lot of sense someone who's acting like they're being locked down when they're not but i think the visual information we're fed in this movie is that it's early in covid not so then but the movie sort of fudges about whether the the vaccines exist and like it's almost like they're so eager to roll in the fact that in real life this person is anti-vaccine not just kind of covid denialism uh because i you know even though i don't agree with it and think it's kind of irresponsible i on a basic level understand the people who are so well i took my vaccine and so i'm not going to wear a mask or do anything you know i'm not going to be cautious ever again even though i think that's very stupid and selfish yeah. like i understand the logic behind i took my vaccine so i'm just going to live my life and a lot of people are doing that and i think it's fucked up but it's obviously not a fringe view but uh i don't believe in covid and i'm not going to take a vaccine that is doesn't exist yet is like almost like you want to make sure you add that she's anti-vax, which is like almost to me, almost plays like a tribute to this person more than, more than just trying to be true to the reality of someone going, someone who's maybe not all there going stir crazy. I don't, I don't mean to like be scoldy about this movie. There's like, I, I was fascinated by it because it, I did not find it worthless or like repellent uh, or, you know, one star kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like I a three think, star movie for me. I didn't love I, it either. I just I, I was yeah. solidly thumbs down on it. Like I'm a two stars, but like, fa- but so much more interesting than than most movies that I would give two stars that are like found footage or whatever. Um, it just like I was felt. I just left it like feeling like I really didn't know what this guy was after, or if it kind of even made me wonder: did this get away from him once he cast no, this woman? I, like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, your best friend Josh Lewis wrote something that I really liked about this. He said, 
I'm sorry to say that. What if a psycho online irony Trump girl found herself in a Blair Witch scenario and the Blair Witch was actually an adrenochrome Benjamin Button resident evil monster? It's such an insane concept, and it's been layered here with enough clever anarchy, obnoxious vulgarity, and gnarly detail and shock gore gags that I'm inclined to give him a pass on all the <laughs> pandemic mega cultural commentary that is at best nonsensical, at worst kind of lame. And, um, and even though the ambitious... Ambition of the found footage set pieces are a big step up. Savage still deals maybe a bit too much in visual much, much cliche of the genre. I agree with all that. I think that's what I like about it. I was just like, this movie's crazy. <laughs> like this old lady that's just a monster and like all that stuff. Like she looks scary and there's like actually scary moments and like jumps that work. I just think it's an effective little scare machine, almost the same vein as that watcher is in a completely different way as yeah, like a I can found see, I, footage, I, I... like jump fest. Yeah, I can see that. I think some of them are so like it does rely on a couple of cheap like you know. Uh, what if like there's a moment of calm and then someone's jerked away from the frame? You know, like the, it's not exactly the most sophisticated like haunted house movie. It's not like like it's you know this is like sort of found footage dragged me to hell, right? Like in a, it, like in terms of the dynamics yes. and like, but it's not even in the found footage level. It's not quite as like uh, you know elegant and playful about like not that Jeremy Hell is not elegant but it's like it's just well made in a way that 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 I don't think this I think this movie is like using found using dash cam stuff or found footage stuff to kind of fudge a lot of stuff it is like it you know it's it's going for something and I just was not sure but like the first half an hour I was like this is going for something and it's really strange and I'm not sure what it was and then like another hour, you know another 45 minutes passed and I was like I'm still not sure what this landed on um and maybe because it doesn't really end it just kind of stops like <laughs> yeah i don't remember i don't remember it, stops it just so kind of ends ago. on yeah. her like going back to her thing and then she's is, rapping yeah 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 it's it's just it's a very strange movie i would be fascinated to hear what other people think it of is it, strange though. i do recommend it cautiously but it's gonna put off a lot of people for sure um yeah. Someone on Letterboxd said, Shyamalan's The Visit is finally dethroned from its record for having the most freestyle rap in a found footage horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. So specific. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, that's enough from us on three movies that you can and should watch. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say you watch them all. You got to watch them all here at the New Flesh <laughs> Podcast. That's our new slogan to go along with the new theme. Um, thanks for listening. Bye. Lifestyle. You can give me if I don't stay around the watch.